Good morning, ministers. We're praying this morning for the sick and for those who are shut in, feeling under the weather, including my wife, that God would bring healing to their bodies. The flu is going around and a lot of uh, this COVID-19 is seen to be catching people uh, in this season. So be careful and be prayerful. Over the past uh, three weeks, we've been studying the call of Ezekiel. And we've been able to glean some wisdom from the short chapter two as it relates to how God makes ministers. That's been the question we've been trying to answer. How does God make the minister? What the call consists of and what is required of the person who would speak for God in any capacity. This morning I want to do a brief recap of what I consider to be the high points of chapter 2 that we've covered so far. Then we'll conclude our study with one more observation and some final thoughts from chapter 2 of the book of Ezekiel. And the first thing that we learned is that the minister must be comfortable in his own skin. The minister should be aware of her own shortcomings and frailties, insecurities, flaws. And even Paul the Apostle recognized this. He recognized his own human limitations when he said that we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the excellency of the power might be of God and not from us. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, meaning that God in his own wisdom has chosen to deposit himself, deposit his word into the feeble hearts and minds of humanity. And truthfully, that seems like a very risky proposition. That God would invest in feeble and frail humanity his power, his grace, his might, and his word. But that is his decision. That is the risk that God is willing to take. But even though God has invested himself into mankind for us to be his spokespersons in the world, God does not immediately, God does not dramatically change our dispositions and our mindsets. We don't change overnight. Though God has called us and God has set his holy seal upon every one of his children, we remain all too human. Isn't that true? No matter how you're called, no matter when you were called, you remain all too human. We are humans. We are not cherubim. And unlike the ministering spirits, we have families, we have responsibilities, we have competing interests as our flesh wars against our spirit and our spirit wars against our flesh. We're not angels. We are often broken and branded by misfortunes that accompany every person born into this world. And in many ways, we are undone. We're not angels. We are undone and so was Ezekiel. And it was Ezekiel's self-knowledge 
that caused him to fall face down in shame at the approach of Almighty God. It was his own self-awareness that made him terrified and horrified at the presence of God. But God comes and God commands Ezekiel, stand on your feet. Be who you are. Embrace your brokenness, embrace your fallenness as a gift and not as a curse. Recognize that when you are weak, then am I strong in you. Stand on your feet. Remember, it was not Ezekiel who approached God. It was God who approached Ezekiel. There's no reason for him to be afraid. It is God who appoints Ezekiel even though Ezekiel is broken and fallen. Even though Ezekiel is wounded and traumatized by life. Pitiful, broken, bruised, and scarred Ezekiel. Yet God approaches him anyway. We know that some changes are going to have to occur in Ezekiel's life if he's going to respond to God's call. That's a given. We know that God is not going to leave Ezekiel in utter depravity. We know that God is going to begin to sanctify Ezekiel, but no matter how sanctified Ezekiel will become in the future, Ezekiel and we should always remember that God approached us when we weren't so put together. That God loved us even when we weren't at our best and that God still loves us despite our brokenness, despite our fallenness, despite our weaknesses. Paul says it so beautifully. In Romans chapter five and verse eight, he says this, that God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, having now been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. In other words, we have no reason to fall down on our faces in dread before God. Because we understand that God loved us not only while we were seeking him, not only while we, after we became his children, but God loved us while we were sinners. God loved us while we were totally disconnected and in many instances disinterested in him. Disinterested in changing our ways. And since this is the case, Paul logically concludes that if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And anyone who will be a minister of Jesus Christ must hang their hat on this precious truth. That if God loved me when I was against him, he loves me all the more now that I have given my life to him, as broken as it is, as messy as it might be. He loves me all the more. He loves me much more now that I've given my life to him. And even though some days I may feel like a wretch undone, even though some days my life does not measure up to God's word or to God's will, I am loved by him and I have no reason to be terrified or ashamed at his presence. And I, I can stand on my feet in confidence. Not confidence in my own works. 
Not confidence in my own worthiness, but confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. I can be confident that I will be received by him, that I will be accepted by God. I can stand on my feet. Understanding that I am saved by grace, undeserving, ill-equipped, and as ill-informed as I may be, I am fully known by God, and I am loved by him all the same. I can embrace the truth about myself. I don't have to put on a facade. I don't have to put on a mask. I can be myself in the presence of God. I can stand before him in the truth of who and what I am. This is faith. This is the faith every believer is summoned to hold on to in our hearts, but especially the one who will be a midget Jesus Christ. Because the minister of Jesus Christ who will be ashamed of himself, who will be afraid of God, terrified by the presence of God, that kind of minister will also be ashamed and afraid to stand before men in Jesus' name. If you are afraid of God, terrified of God, you will be terrified of men as well, the image of God. And if the minister has no confidence that she herself is accepted in and through Jesus Christ, she will not loudly proclaim the good news. She will proclaim it, but she will proclaim it in a whisper. And this lack of certainty about his place in heaven will blunt the effectiveness of his message because he's uncertain about his relationship with God. The minister must be certain that he is accepted in the beloved. To be afraid of God in a terrifying way is to be afraid of men. But once we apply the full weight of our trust onto heaven's scale, then we are received by God and he fills us with his Holy Spirit. This is what we need. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. And he fills us with his Holy Spirit to the point that we no longer recognize our insufficiencies. We no longer recognize our weaknesses or our limitations. When we are filled with the Spirit of God, we are delivered into the higher knowledge of our union with Jesus Christ. We become aware of our oneness with the one who loves us. We become aware of our oneness with the one who gave his life for us. This is what it is to be filled with the Spirit, to become one with God. And Ezekiel, after being filled with the Spirit of God, he became capable of hearing God's voice. And the ministers of God today must be filled with God's Spirit if we are to be used by him. Jesus taught us that. In John chapter 6, verse 63, he says that, it is the Spirit, the Spirit of God, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh provides no benefit. It is the Spirit of God who holds the power to transform lives, churches, communities, and the world. And the minister herself, in her own strength, 
provides no kingdom benefit. Who you are, who I am indeed, who you are in fact, adds nothing to and takes nothing away from your kingdom impact for God. And if the ministers of God will have any success, that success will come from the Spirit of God who dwells in us. The minister is just a vessel in whom God has invested his power and invested his strength. It is the Spirit who gives life. And the man profits nothing. And the minister then can embrace the truth of our frailties. And we can be filled with the Spirit of God. And once we're filled with the Spirit of God, God commands Ezekiel and us, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of their faces. Do not be afraid of their words. Because as John states so eloquently in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Be not afraid. God is in you and God is with you. Do not be afraid of men because God is greater. The minister himself is not greater than the people. The man of God is not greater. The woman of God is not greater. No, God in him is greater. And God in me does not make me greater. God in me is great within himself. I am just a vessel. This is what the ministers of God must understand. So that when the ministers of God appears before the people to speak on behalf of God, he's not speaking for himself. He's not speaking from his own authority. His private impotence plays no role in determining how his message might be received. It is the spirit within him that gives life. And his struggles, his weaknesses, his traumas, and his scars provide no benefit. I used to celebrate recovery. There were people there from all walks of life with all kinds of addictions and addictive behaviors, things that I couldn't re relate to at all. And I had many people tell me, you know, you need to find someone who has that particular struggle if you're going to minister to people who are struggling with that because you don't understand what they're going through. And I would often remind people, listen, my experiences is not what saves. My knowledge, my personal knowledge of woundedness and illness is not what saves. It is the spirit in me that gives life. My experiences profit nothing. Thanks, bro. My limitations and my inhibitions, they may inform my ministry. But my life experiences, my setbacks, and my struggles do not possess the power to heal other people or to save souls. It is the spirit that gives life. Why am I talking about this? Well, because too many believers are sitting on the sidelines waiting to be completely healed before they put their hands to the plow. They're waiting for God to answer all of their unanswered questions 
all of their life questions before they'll go to work in the vineyard. They're waiting on God to mend old relationships, to make them whole before they'll launch out into the deep. But what God teaches Ezekiel here is that God can and God does use broken people all the time to accomplish his purposes. You don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be completely whole to be used by God. God uses broken vessels all the time. And he does this not by completely healing the minister, but by filling us with his spirit. That's how he gets his work done through us, with our flaws and all. And the spirit of God within me, the spirit of God within you is not restricted because of your character flaws. The Holy Spirit of God is not diluted and not compromised by communing with me, even though I am a wretch undone. He is not contaminated by being in me. He never changes. But his presence within the minister begins to change the minister over time. But God doesn't change. The Holy Spirit is never impacted by my shortcomings. His message is never nullified, though at times I find myself unable to live up to his high standard. He's not compromised. And this truth, brothers and sisters, this truth, is nothing less than the good news that we have been called to share with the world, isn't it? That God loves you even though you are a sinner, that God wants to choose you even though you are a wretch undone, that God wants to dwell in you even though you are not yet made whole, that is the good news. But if I myself, as a child of God, if I am not experiencing and living in the grace of God, how can I proclaim God's grace to other people? If I myself am not confident that God through Jesus Christ does indeed live within my decaying frame, how can I offer him to live in the decaying frames of the men and women in the world with any true conviction? If I am not living this freedom, if I am not experiencing this freedom, how can I confidently and with conviction proclaim it to a dying world? I have to live this. I have to believe this. I have to act on what I believe. If we are to declare the goodness of the Lord, Despite our brokenness, then we have to be able to accept and to experience the grace of God by faith in our own lives. This is why I believe, I really believe this, I can't prove it, but I really believe this is why so few people evangelize. We have all kinds of reasons of why we don't present the gospel of Jesus Christ to people, but I really believe that one of the primary reasons that we don't share the gospel is because we're not experiencing the gospel. I really believe that. I really believe that the reason so many of us are so shy to talk about Jesus with others is because we're not experiencing the gospel in our own lives. And that's a shame. That's a waste. Jesus Christ died so that we might be free. And in our freedom, we offer this freedom to the world. But if we ourselves are living in bondage, even though we are calling on the name of the Lord, 
How can we preach this message with any level of conviction to others? We have to live it. And the only way we can live it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. For the Bible says that the Holy Spirit of God within us testifies to us that we are indeed the children of God. He affirms who we are. We must be filled with the Spirit to receive that kingdom uh, affirmation. That we are the children of God, and not only children of God, but we are the ministers of Jesus Christ. A royal priesthood, ambassadors of the kingdom of God, once we've been filled with his spirit, we are no longer afraid to speak his truth to men. We are no longer afraid to go out into the highways, into the byways, to tell men that Jesus saves. And so we go. We go and we proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to the dying world. We go and we tell them. But just because we tell them doesn't mean they're going to change their ways. Just because we tell them doesn't mean they're going to accept Jesus Christ. We pray they would accept Jesus Christ. We pray and hope that as we put our hands to the plow, as we sow the seeds of the truth of God's word, that the seeds will begin to bear much fruit. That's what we pray for. But as God explained to Ezekiel, there are no guarantees. They may listen. They may not. They may heed or they may completely tune us out. The outcome of our service to men on behalf of God is not for us to manage, is not for us to control. It is the spirit who gives life. The minister is not called to give life. What the minister is called to do is to yield to the working of the Holy Spirit and to obey his every command, to be obedient. The outcome belongs to God and not to us. And God will save whom he will and God will curse whom he will. That is kingdom business. The minister's business is to ensure that he is not contaminating the message in any way, that he is not compromising, that he is not glossing over the truth in order to placate or to appease men. That's the minister's role. But unfortunately, too often, this is exactly what ministers end up doing. Tailoring the message to suit the inclinations of the surrounding culture. We see it every day nowadays. Hoping to find ways to deliver God's message in a way that doesn't offend anyone, that doesn't ruffle any feathers. More concerned about how we ourselves might be perceived by the world than we're concerned about how God is represented. We try our best not to offend the culture. And we claim that we take this position so that Jesus Christ is not a repulsive agent to unbelievers. But I have to tell you the truth here. Jesus Christ has been a repulsive figure to this sinful world since his birth. Jesus has always been a divisive and repulsive figure frustrating figure to those who don't believe. And Jesus Christ does not call his ministers to give him a makeover or to make him more palatable to the world. That's not the mission. It is the fact that to some, Jesus Christ is a sweet fragrance, a sweet aroma, 
But to others, Jesus Christ is the stench of death. That's just the way it is. We can't control how Jesus is perceived. How God is perceived is not something that we can control. But if I am speaking the truth of God's word, and if I am modeling the message that I bring, I have done all that is required of me, and the rest is up to God. He tells Ezekiel, whether they listen or not, just speak. And leave the outcome to me, whether they listen or not. The contemporary minister today needs to hear that word. Because the question is, why does the contemporary minister find it so difficult to simply say the uncomfortable truth? Why does the contemporary minister believe it is his duty to make Jesus more relevant, more palatable, more desirable to the world? Could it be that the minister himself is not so captivated by Jesus? Could that be the case? Could it be because certain aspects of the gospel message does not sit well with him? Could that be the problem? Could that be the reason he wants to modify the word of God to make it suit and to fit the culture? What is the reason for it? Jesus Christ himself says that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. The challenge that the minister has is, and that we all know by experience, that in some respects, even we remain tarnished by the culture in which we were born and bred. We're a part of the culture, even though we're the children of God. And we unfortunately hold some worldly and some carnal views about certain things. That's a fact. Even though we're saved, we still hold some of the culture's leanings. That's not unique to us. Ezekiel did too. Ezekiel inherited a similar disposition to the people that he was called to serve. And this is why God gives him such a stern warning in chapter 2, verse 8. And he says this now, you son of man, listen to what I am speaking to you. Listen to the warning. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Ezekiel, don't be rebellious like them. We know that God doesn't waste any words. He warns Ezekiel about his posture, about his disposition, because God can see that Ezekiel has a similar perspective to the people that he's being called to serve. And God says, no, 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 they're obstinate. They're impudent. They're rebellious. Ezekiel, you can't be like them. Because even though Ezekiel is being called to be a prophet, Ezekiel is not necessarily happy about what God has allowed to happen to the people. Ezekiel is not necessarily happy about what God has allowed to happen to him. There may be a slight root of bitterness there. Maybe these five years in captivity has made Ezekiel bitter against God. Maybe he too feels like God has gone too far. And allowing his chosen people to be demoralized and defeated like this. Maybe he feels as they do, that God and his promises are not dependable, are not trustworthy. God says, Ezekiel, do not be rebellious like them. Don't take on their ways. Be sanctified, be set apart. 
people are angry with God. The people are rebelling against God. The people don't trust God. The people don't believe in the promises of God. And that's the way the world thinks to this very day. God is not welcome in our communities, in our country, in our schools. God is not welcome. The people rebel against God. And unfortunately, unfortunately for the church, there is rising up today a breed of believers who in some cases tend to agree with the world. They think like the world. Believers who are more willing to attribute right motive to the world while holding God's word in suspicion. Believers whom for the word of God is, has become suspect. The church and its teachings have become suspect and the world has been attributed right motive. And these new ministers, this new breed of ministers, they seek to modify the teachings of Jesus Christ to suit the moral leanings of the men and women of the world. And so to that minister, God says, do not be like them. Heed the warning. Do not be rebellious like that rebellious house. Do not set yourself up above the word and the will of God like they do. Instead, God says to Ezekiel, open your mouth wide and eat what I am giving you. Be receptive to the truth of the word of God. Do not attempt to change or to modify one jot or one tittle of the word of God seeking to pacify men of the world. Stand firm on the truth of the word and accept it wholly. All 66 books, whatever I have said, this is what Jesus told us to do, to go into the world and to teach men whatever he has told us. Not to modify it, not to water it down, but to say what the word of God says. That's what the minister is called to do. We are to add nothing to, we are to take nothing away from God's word, but we are to open our mouths and eat whatever God is giving us, the word of God. And if we do, if we choose to be like the world, if we choose to pacify this dying world, if we choose to, to, to adhere to their teachings, to think like they think, and to modify God's word in order to suit their passions and their needs and their desires, if we do this, then we become builders again of the very things that Jesus Christ died to destroy. We become adversaries rather than emissaries of this gospel of Jesus Christ. Do not be like they are. Do not be afraid of them. Stand on your feet. Be obedient. Don't worry about the outcomes. Leave the outcomes up to me, God says. Ezekiel concludes here and says in verse 9, Then I looked, and behold, a hand was extended to me. And behold, a scroll was in it. When he spread it out before me, it was written on the front and back. And written on it were songs of mourning, songs of sighing, songs of woe. It was a difficult message. I thank God that I'm not called to deliver, deliver that kind of message, but what if I was? What if you were? Could you deliver that message? Could you deliver a sad and somber message to 
to people on behalf of God? Could you warn the world that they're dying and that they're headed for a burning hell if God called you to do that? Or would you seek to modify the word of God in order to fit men's needs and fit men's desires? Do not be like they are, God says to Ezekiel. Do not be rebellious, but believe in the truth. Stand on the truth and proclaim the truth with your loudest voice. And leave the outcome up to me. This is what it is to be a minister. This is how God makes ministers, faithful, trustworthy, and loyal servants of God. These are the kinds of people that God entrusts his ministry to. The question I have for us today is, can you see yourself being a minister? Can you see yourself being someone in whom God can invest his power, that God can give you a platform and send you out into the world to be a representative of the kingdom? Do you see yourself there? Are you afraid of men? Are you confident in the grace of God in your own life? These are the questions that we must answer as God is calling us to become ministers, to become workers in the vineyard. I have enjoyed so thoroughly myself reading this Ezekiel chapter 1 and 2 to be reminded of what it takes to be a minister, to be reminded of how God makes a minister. That we don't call ourselves, but that we are called by God and empowered by God to do the work of ministry in the world. I've been encouraged myself just reading it. Hearing that clarion call again of God saying, Calvin, this is the way, walk in it. I hope that you heard it. I hope that God is stirring something in your own heart to get busy for the kingdom of God. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And I pray God that God will raise up laborers in this church, in this body who will become effective emissaries of the kingdom of God in this dying, broken world. People who can bring healing and freedom to the masses, to the glory of God. I hope it's you. I hope it's you. I hope it's you. I hope it's your children. Because as you minister for God, as you minister to people on behalf of God, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you that your relationship with God begins to grow more and more and more. As God sees that you have become a willing vessel, a willing worker in his kingdom, he'll spend more time with you when you pray. He'll spend more time with you when you open the word of God. Because now he has to invest more because you're giving more. I hope I've encouraged somebody here to get up and run with the vision of ministry for Jesus Christ to the world to talk to people in your workplaces, to talk to people in your community, to start Bible studies where you live, to serve people, to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to a dying world. Let's pray. Father and our God, we are humbled that you have considered us. We're grateful that you have chosen us. We're grateful, Lord God, that you have given us your Holy Spirit. 
Father God, as we approach your throne this morning through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our question is, what do we have to give? What do you desire from us? What are you requiring of us? Father God, you know our limitations. Not only our personal limitations, but the limitations on our time. We have families. We're busy people. And we know that you're not asking more of us than that we're able to do. But we're asking you today, God, that you would call us. That you would make your calling clear and fresh in our spiritual ears. That you'll give us vision to serve in small ways or in great. It doesn't matter. That you would make us obedient and flex flexible, loyal servants of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That you'll empower us by filling us with your Holy Spirit. To proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to this dying world. This is our desire. That we might be used by you. And so we come before you empty praying that you would fill us even right now with your Holy Spirit and with power to do your work in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.